The Wetmon Podcast is produced by Dr. Stacia Munn and brought to you by Alt Energy Solar Solutions. Solar energy with a national experience and hometown service. Galactic Rentals, impressive, most impressive, and Vera Wine Project. Venture, revel, share. The Wetmon Podcast is intended for mature audiences and adults with questionable morals. And now for the show. Welcome to the Wet Mun Podcast. Good whatever time of the day it is. I'm your host, John. And I'm your host, Will. Hey, Will, pour me some wine. find out what's going on. So maybe I'll just ask you to marry me. We've been recording for the last 90 seconds. This is fantastic. I know, right? Is that a uh, clarification point? What level of cursing I, are we comfortable with? And then I vomited oh, because I was like, Ugh. rated mature. We're yeah, we're, well, we're, I, I, we're I know good. you we, too specifically rated mature, but what the podcast. Can we take it to X? Um, so it has a disclaimer. Okay, it has a disclaimer. The F word. Yeah, F words. Yeah. You're you're good. Okay. The A Sorry. word, We're good. the B word, the C word. Hey, Will Wetmore. Hey, John. What's going on, buddy? Oh man, it's been a while. It has been a while. How have you been? Uh, good. I have um my my lung issue figured out. Yes. I can breathe again. Do yeah. Fan. Well, Sorry. I'm doing better. Yes, you are. I can I can run. I can ride a bike. Uh, Your nose still sounds stuffed. I feel like you're. Judging and I don't like that. But um, I mean, I, I feel like I was with you when it was really bad. So yeah, I'm not miserable anymore. Yeah, you're not miserable. Yeah, you're not like wheezing and like breathing really heavily. You don't sound, you, you, and you don't look like Doc Holliday, <laughs> which is a movie which Tombstone, is which is a bummer because yeah. I would love to look like him. Doc Holliday from the movie Tombstone. Hey, we're missing one wine glass. Okay, I'll get a wine glass. Uh, I'll be right back. And then why don't you start introductions okay. for me? Real yeah. Quick. So tonight we have um, some dear friends. To my right, I have Wyatt Schrader. Schroeder? Schrader. Schrader. Wyatt Schrader to my right. Um, dear friend. And to my left, I have Sarah Huckabee Hankel. No, Sarah Hankel. Say that makes it sound like I'm married to Huckabee, which is why I want to appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, um, Wyatt Keep is up. our dear friend. He runs the catch, which I don't know what that means. Something in Boise. We're going to talk about it later. Yep. And then Sarah, I do know what she does because she's a doctor. She works with my lady friend somewhat. But we'll talk about all this shit later. First, because this is the Wet Mom podcast, we have to talk about wine. Uh, Willie, what do we what do we got there? We have a bottle of Pascal Jolivet, which honestly I have no idea what this wine tastes like. Um, it is a bottle that I got from the Co-op Wine Shop in Boise. Here, it is a bottle of Sancerre, um, which none of you guys should probably know what that is. Um, Sarah, do you know what that is? Mm-mm. Okay, Mm-mm. Sarah doesn't. I know have that never is. heard that word mm. before in my life. Yeah. So, real quick question: Do you guys know what Sauvignon Blanc is? A grape. I have. I think Blanc probably means white. 
Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, so Sauvignon Blanc is a widely popular grape um, grown all over the world. Um, it started in Bordeaux, France, kind of found a home in Sancerre, which is a region in France, but Sancerre White is made of Sauvignon Blanc exclusively. So basically this is a Sauvignon Blanc grown in Sancerre, France. Um, and we're going to taste it, but I don't have a wine key, so I can't open the bottle. I'll get you, <laughs> hold on, I'll get you a wine key. And I'm going to try to get Kesha turned down in the background too. TikTok. Uh, who is that? That's a computer. That's that? me. Wait, so if it's just from one region, but Sauvignon Blanc, why wouldn't not just be called that? Why is it not called Sauvignon Blanc? So yeah. This brings us to this very interesting question of how wines are named yes. yeah. in Europe versus America. Well, I feel like there's or... a very specific naming convention mm-hmm. to wine that has always eluded me. Yeah, it's... Kind of, it's kind of dumb, mm-hmm. but in France, Italy, Spain, the cool Germany, kind of places where they've been making wine for a long, long time. The yep. old world. The old world, exactly, the Sarah. The old world. They don't call wines by the name of the grape. They, they call, call it by the region. By the region it's grown in. So it's uh, like also like champagne comes champagne, from champagne. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm, does it though? It comes champagne. From champagne. Champagne. It's champagne. Okay. <laughs> Shut up. We're um, still in. We're in Idaho. We're in the the yeah. most America part of America. Champagne. So, so it, it's from the region it's grown in, and it it's very specific though. So it's like even though it's grown in Sancerre or Bordeaux or Burgundy or Champagne. They have certain rules and regulations about what grapes they can grow there mm. and what they can make wine out of and call it Sancerre, Burgundy, Bordeaux. So in Sancerre, they can only make white wine and call it Sancerre if it's made from Sauvignon Blanc. Mm. So it's kind of one and the same. Whereas in the, if, if, so say they allowed, you can do Pinot Grigio, Sauvignon Blanc, you could do, Riesling all in Sancerre. If someone says, I want a bottle of Sancerre, that you still wouldn't know what you get because you might get Riesling, you might get Pinot Grigio, you might get Sauvignon Blanc. But for Sancerre specifically, they always do Sauvignon Blanc for their white wine. They do, um, I think it's Pinot Noir if they do a red wine. It's like a red Sancerre. It's like so why, why, is there not, why is there not an equivalent in America for the regionalization? So if you, like you do, are buying a grape from Washington State, Yep. To, uh, to to mix it here. Mm-hmm. Why is it not called an Idaho Special or Gunmetal Steel? Uh, I think it's how the rules and regulations have been set up. But I feel like according okay. to who? Yeah, exactly. Like I feel like most of the rules are European based. Yeah. So on well, so we, we in the U.S. we do have tons of rules about how you can label wine. So if I if I make wine from Idaho and it's Grown, the grapes are grown in the Snake River Valley. On the label, it will say Tempranillo. And then underneath it will say Snake River Valley. Whereas in France, it would say like Sancerre. And you'd have to kind of know that Sancerre is Sauvignon Blanc. So you, it's a lot of times you do want to specify a region, even in the US. Because people want, they mean, a lot of times they'll say like Tempranillo, Snake River Valley. 
Hat Ranch Winery Vineyard. It will really specify where those grapes come from, but we we don't have a we don't have a rule or a law in our region that we can only grow certain varieties and only make wine out of certain varieties. So in the U.S., we have a lot more freedom to make wine. We can make wine from any grape in our region, whereas in you or in um, France and in Italy and Spain, you have to make wine from a certain variety in that region. Mm-hmm. But is it because the the names of their regions are just like a little more sexy, like Sancerre, <laughs> as opposed to Sancerre. Snake River? I don't know. I think a snake is sexy oh and gosh. a river is sexy. Hey, well, it's a very sexy name. Yeah, we we've pour, been, we've pour, been doing this for pour us some ten wine. minutes. We haven't tasted any wine. <gasps> so this is so this is Sauvignon Blanc. All right, it's Sancerre because this Sauvignon Blanc came from Sancerre in France, which is in the Loire Valley. John Munn. Loire Valley, been there. Uh, let's see. Spent two weeks there. So this wine should be, I have not tasted it, but it should be light, crisp. So talk to us a little bit. What what color am I looking at here? for? Because I'm, I mean, I'm colorblind. So it's, I would say it's, it's not it's, red. I know that. <laughs> but beyond that, tell us what's going on. So in my opinion, it's, it's light. Um, mm. It's got a green tint to it. Mm-hmm. Um, grassy. It should be grassy. There should be a lot of like minerality to it. Mm-hmm. What, very, do you mean, what, very, do you, what do you mean by minerality? Sanity. Kind of like chalky. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here we go. I like it a lot. It's gross to hear all of you swallowing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so <laughs> Sauvignon Blanc is, is a... That's not what he said. <laughs> <laughs> so Sauvignon Blanc... A lot, especially in Sancerre, it's mm. it's picked, pressed into juice, goes into tank, it's fermented in tank, never goes into oak barrels, so it's crisp, it's fruity, there's no oxidation or oak influence from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's fantastic with seafood. I was going to say, this is, this is, would be, like, matches very well with oysters. Oysters, Where you're looking yeah. at this, like especially in certain regions where you have this good salinity from um, the ocean. Yeah. Like, I, this, this to me just would go very cleanly with that. Yeah, because it's got that kind of crisp acidity, which would kind of cut any salt yeah. or fat. Um, it's, so, for, for a gutter palate like me, this, mm-hmm. like, to, to me, tastes like a classic crisp white wine. Yeah, and that's, yeah. A, I mean, <clears throat> so, like Sauvignon Blanc. Dry but not oaky. Sauvignon Blanc is one of the most classic white wines that you could have. There's Chardonnay, but typically most examples are going to be kind of buttery and creamy because they're aged in oak barrels. Mm-hmm. This is all aged in stainless steel, and it's crisp. It's refreshing. I mean, this is great for a nice day like today where it was hot. It's the mod wine. It's the mob wine? It's like modern, right? Oh, like modern. Mod. Stainless steel. Mod. Mod wine. Yeah. Mod. I like Not the mob mold. wine though. What is the mob wine? What's the mob wine? Chianti does. No. Really, really red. Sangria. Sangria <laughs> yeah. is the mob Chianti. wine. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, right. that's the Les Mis. Yeah, we filled the barricade. Um, mob wine. 
I'm calling The Sopranos. And so, but I mean, the cool thing about Sauvignon Blanc, it's grown all over the world. So I brought Sancerre, which is kind of the, kind of the oldest example of it. France, it found a home in South America, Argentina, Chile, New Zealand, Australia, California. So people do it all over the world. We do grow, right. we, we, we grow in Idaho as well. Sure. So it's, it's a really versatile grape, but it kind of always has those characteristics. Light, crisp, grassy. It can have grapefruit, a little bit of tropical flavors um, if it's grown in a hotter climate. But typically in France, it's a little cooler climate than New Zealand or Australia. So it's going to be more grassy, um, and then like, but it's super clean. Do you feel like, um, I guess I always, this is maybe incorrect, but I think of Sauvignon Blanc in general as a bit, though drier than Riesling, for instance, um, in America, it's not quite as dry as things like Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris and... Is that true, or did I make that shit up? Um, I think there is... We can talk about dry in two different ways. So there's mm-hmm. there's technical winemaking dry, which is how much sugar is in the wine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all those varieties you can do in a dry style, which means you ferment all the sugars out of them, and they're less than 2.2% residual sugar. So a lot of those wines will be below that. Um, but just depending on how the fruit tastes, the level of acidity, a lot of acidity will kind of make you think it tastes fruity, which will trick your brain to saying it's sweet. sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, some grapes have a lot of um, tannins in the skins, and they'll get more phenolics, mm-hmm. and tannins are bitter, so that will dry your mouth out, so it might feel drier. Dry. So, I don't know. Maybe. Is no, all I'm think, saying. No, that's very good, because I... I Hey, Will. Hey, John. You have some some questions, some hard-hitting questions in front of you about about this wine. Um, I think we went over a lot of those, but I have a... Specifically. I have a specific question for you. For me. Let's hear it. So give me your tasting notes real fast. Yeah. So on this wine, like I said, to me it's a classic, crisp white wine, like when I... think of white wine this is what i think of it's mm. very crisp it tastes very fruity it tastes like summer it tastes like apples um it tastes very fresh it reminds me of a you know a summer day reminds me of a blonde woman walking on the beach okay how much does this wine cost this wine uh you, so you went into the wine store. I was with you. I was idling in the in the parking lot, and you went in. You spent twenty two dollars on this bottle of wine. I, think that's I spent twenty eight dollars on this bottle of wine. So yeah, good guess. Yeah, I like twenty to thirty. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is a really a cool example. Um, this is, um, this is delicious. It's not what I what I actually really like about this. It's got a lot of kind of weight and body to it. It's not thin. Mm-hmm. Um, Correct. Yeah. So it's even though it's crisp and clean, it's not thin. It kind of lingers. It's got mm-hmm. some body to it, which I really like. It's got some legs on the side. Um, I feel like one of the questions in front of you, Wills, if this wine was a baseball player. <laughs> I was I was getting to that. If this wine was a baseball player. Please, yeah, ask that question. So I, baseball I, player would it be? So we have several baseball fans at this table. I have an answer, but uh, I defer to the wine expert, Will Wetmore. 
do you have a swinger in mind? Uh, ooh. Can I can I go after yeah, you? Yeah, sure. It's <laughs> it's really easy for me. This is Will Clark. Oh yeah. This is a I... sweet, smooth <laughs> West Coast lefty swing. The greatest. This is classic left-handed swing. It's with just, really bad knees. Uh, yeah, I, but no, like this is like 1988. Will Clark, prime of his career, um, com- competing for a batting title, and it's just it, it's to me the epitome of West Coast beauty. It's Will Clark. Yeah, so it's it's, got, it's Will Clark 1988. So it's elegance. It's got elegance yes. with that with that lefty yes, swing. So I I I agree with that elegance of the lefty swing. But I think it's got a little more speed and more raciness to it. So I'm th- trying to think of a kind of a left-handed hitter, sweet swing with some speed to it. Some guy from Seattle, a little guy Surprise. named uh, Ken Griffey, yeah, a little junior. Hey-o. So maybe this is Ken Griffey. Maybe this is Will Clark. I don't know. But I do, I do, I do agree. It's got that sweet left-handed swing. Wyatt, see, it's funny because I <laughs> immediately it was probably an homage to Will. I thought Brandon Belt because I I don't know why I like it. <laughs> Getting around contemporary, yeah. I love it. See, yeah. I, I thought you guys went, went a little more old school in my childhood, but I, 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 I thought more Brandon Belt, which is like I don't know why he's always in the right place at the right time, even though I'm not sure he has all the tools he needs to have. Truth, but here it is. I like this wine, even though I'm not a guy who likes white wine. Yeah, e- either, either either do I. That's what you thought. Yeah, people just don't drink enough white wine to I know think... that they, they actually do like it. Well, it feels like it's, in a way that it shouldn't. It feels like of... the lesser wine. Well, yeah, I mean, like I don't, I don't mean that in terms of it, like it, you it, as a winemaker. No, I feel like me as the person who doesn't know anything. Finally, about wine. we're saying that white things are lesser. It's about goddamn time. <laughs> so, so <laughs> following up with that, um, I, I agree with Sarah, but I also agree with Wyatt. Uh, like it's. Red is a better wine, right? I think. Is I, it though? I think it comes mm. down to perception. I think, as a consumer, when you go to a wine shop, you see reds consistently being higher priced. So in your brain, you go, "Oh, oh that's that must be better. It's higher priced." Mm-mm. So you mentioned you, you mentioned body it. earlier, and I think about that a lot with with red versus Women. white. Like I feel like oh. a, a red wine just has like a fuller body it, than, it, it than the wine it typically does but if you took if you drank a glass of pinot noir and excuse me close your eyes burping burp, and... burping burping <laughs> and then if you took a if you took a sip of viognier so and and ignored the flavors big body the 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 weight of the wine in your mouth you would think though that white wine would have a bigger body so it's yep. I mean, a lot of times it's based like, well, I, people think of red wine as Cabernet. Cabernet is one of the biggest body wines that there is. So, of course, they're going to think that all red wines have more body. But there is a, a spectrum of whites and there's a spectrum of reds. So, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 100% willing to be wrong. I want to exactly. say that. I am very happy being wrong. So, uh, again, this was... Let's see. It's a Pascal Jolivet Sancerre Sauvignon Blanc. Delicious. It's very, very nice. Mm. Um, you mm, would mm, love mm. this. Drink it. Drink it. Awesome. All right, we're gonna take a right, break, and we will be. Sidebar podcast feed. We'll be right back in a. We'll be right <laughs> no, back no. in a minute. <laughs> no. 
Welcome back to the Wet Mon Podcast. Here we are. Wyatt Schrader. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Jen? I'm doing great. Um, what do you think of that wine? It's growing on me now that Will has shamed me into liking my wine. <laughs> I know. I, I, I feel the exact same way. Uh, Wyatt... Man, you you are an East Coast transplant, is that yes. correct? Yes. And you've come to Boise, and j- so full full disclosure, do that. Full disclosure, uh, I I am a social worker, and I work sometimes with your agency. Yes. So I am an unabashed giant, huge fan. Um, but tell our audience a little bit about what you do and why, why, why you are here with us. So I work for an agency called Catch, which works to end homelessness in the Treasure Valley, where we're recording this podcast here in Idaho. So it's our firm, firm belief that not only does every single person, every single family deserve housing, but they need it from a, a behavioral health, a clinical sense. Everyone needs housing in order to achieve the financial independence, the resilience, and just the good wellness that we think everyone should have. And especially if you think about it from a, a kid's perspective, growing up without a home, the trauma that you experience has a very like poignant reality. The life expectancy goes down by 11 years. If you experience too much trauma as a kid, um, the, the amount of depression you're most likely to feel goes up by over 400%. And the real consequences are just are staggering. Mm-hmm. So we need to move quickly in order to get people into stable housing. And that's something we work on every single day. So I, I've, uh, I, I've grown up in Idaho. Um, I was born in Nampa. I graduated from Nampa High School. Um, you know, I've kind of seen Idaho transition from a real just farming economy to to what we're reading online a lot of magazines like Boise's the you know booming place so talk to us like what is the home homeless situation like in Idaho and particularly in the Treasure Valley what are we facing as far as homelessness well let me let me ask let me ask this to you guys what yeah all right, over the last, let's just look at the last 10 years. Sure. The last 10 years, what do you think has happened to homelessness around the country? Around the entire country, just looking at everything that's occurred last decade, is homelessness up, down, by how much? Uh, I feel like I only have a couple cities that I've been in. Yep. So it's kind of hard to say, but I know my hometown, Santa Cruz, homelessness is way up. Uh... I would say it's up. I don't know. All right, up. So yeah. I'm trying to think. Before I lived in Boise, I went to college in San Diego, and I lived in Spokane, Washington. And I would say two places have exceptionally high rates of homelessness. So I would just anecdotally say up. Over the last 10 years, homelessness is down by 15% in the country. Wow. It's up in very few places. Is that, is that California is one of them. Is, so so the coastal states, especially here on the West Coast, it's up. Idaho is one of the few places where it's still increasing. Is it because 
more people are moving into that area or is it because more people that are already in that community are experiencing homelessness? Would you, would you say? I, to me, it's, it's, it's more that there's an affordable housing crisis happening around the country and the response systems can respond to it better in certain places than others. So like the coastal states, yeah, get a, a certain influx. There's population growth. There's, um, I think, yeah, I, th- I think it's how, how we respond to it. So like California, especially, and Seattle, and even Portland have seen homelessness increase. But around, like, around the country still, it's, it's down. And I think that like that to me gets me excited. That's a possible thing. It's something that we can actually work on and make some actual strides if we actually believe in it. So when you say it's down 15%, is it like if you took every state and added all those numbers together, it's down 15%? Yes. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And do you think it's because more access to resources or like well, why, I mean, why, why would why would that be the case? Because do, we've, do we've gotten better at this. We've learned more about homelessness in the last five years than in the last 40 before it. So homelessness was not a term we even used until the 80s. What was it? What was the previous term? There, there was none. So it, it, was, it was vagabonds. Vagabonds. Right? It was, it was just street folks. It, it, yeah, street people. Street people. Have you guys been watching Wild Wild Country? I don't know what? what that, I don't know what that what is. What is that? Oh, is that another side, one? Quick sidebar. <laughs> so Wild Wild Country is a Netflix wild, doc about wild, wild, that cult that started in oh, Oregon. Yeah, in Oregon, yeah. And so yeah. they started. They started. Oh, I've heard about this. They yeah. started busting in yeah. street people, yeah, so they could win elections yes. in yes. Oregon counties. But anyway, sorry. So I was like, "Oh, street people," which is the term we used. Yeah, it is. I feel like even the words we use to describe this problem, and John, you love this. Like the words we just use to describe it evolve over time. Yeah. And street people was fine. Vagabonds was fine. Drifters was fine. And now, like we, I catch are are pretty honed in to saying people experiencing homelessness yeah yeah so let me let me let me drop a term on you that i know you've heard why unaccompanied youth yes unaccompanied youth yes so those are those are kids who are in technically still in high school that don't have they're not living with a parent or anyone a lot of them are like quote unquote adults because they're 18 but we know now that the human brain doesn't fully develop until about age 25 to especially age. for dudes and so <laughs> we, we 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 label these people unaccompanied that was from the youth doctor. um which is i mean it's like such an awesome cool i, I want to be an unaccompanied youth yeah i guarantee my 10 year old son wants to be an unaccompanied youth yeah can i get a yeah i'm gonna so I want right I, I kind of like we're we're kind of flittering all around the map. Why like let's let's fucking get down to brass tacks. Let's talk yep. about let's talk about the goddamn fucking Treasure Valley. Yep. And uh, so I, I, I feel like I know the answer. This is kind of a leading question. Um, what the fuck's going on? Why why can't we get the people that need housing in the Treasure Valley homes? Go. <laughs> Oh man, go! Why can't why can't we end homelessness tomorrow? Yeah, in in the Treasure Valley, just just so so here's, here's just in my neck here's of the, the real thing. Yeah. All right, let's, yeah. let's let's do this. Yeah, let, let's hunker down. Real let's, talk. All right, Ada County. Let's just focus in on yes. specific Ada County because I yes. I know these numbers yes. off the top of my head. Gross. 
So, Sarah, thank you. So, the number of people experiencing homelessness in any county at any one time normally is based off of a point in time count. January, on one specific day, we hit the streets and we literally count people. There's a census that happens. You've done this? Yeah. Okay. And and that's that's a the most inaccurate way of doing it. Most especially most especially in January, I would yeah, feel like it's it's pretty stupid. It's it's upwards of stupid. So we now have launched a partnership that actually assesses folks and anyone who wants to end their homelessness in Ada County has one central point. You walk into our building at Catch, you call our phone line at Catch, and we finally have started to build a data portrait of how many people are truly experiencing homelessness in Ada County. What's a data portrait? T- tell us, break that down. Like there's actual numbers to it. Okay. And numbers not just on one point in time, one night. Yeah. Because, John, if I saw oh, you... A full picture. If I just randomly called you on a random day in the year and said, how are you feeling? That would, you know, I might catch you on a bad day, right? Yeah, most, I might be, most I might, likely. I might be homeless that day. <laughs> and Right, that's just... All right, that's John Munn one day of the year. Sure. But John Munn on 365. Mayor Hyde Park. <laughs> Mostly. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. I get a better portrait, right? Sure. I get your full perspective. Yes. I know. Philly's fan, awesome. Goddamn Mona Lisa of Hyde Park. Yeah. You get a full portrait. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah's in yes. favor. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. Can continue. Yeah. Keep going, Wyatt. So we've we've now learned in launching this access point more closely what homelessness looks like here. So let's just look at families, the number of families experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you look at the number of families we've accept, um, assessed, and the number of families that we've truly housed in the last year, we know there's 138 families each year that are outside of our capacity. What, what does that mean, outside means, of capacity? There's 130, they can't house? Yeah, there's 138 families that we can't house. We as a community, through all of our programs, Catch, Salvation Army, LA Community Action Partnership, the schools, health and welfare, everyone coming here, the VA, we housing. can't house 138 families based on the number of people and dollars we have. Okay. That number is fucking small. Yes. Well, yes. Okay. If, if you want to trade that number, you want to talk to San Diego, you want to talk to Portland, sure. Sure. Seattle, Correct. they would gladly trade you for that number. Yeah. So we can truly... No no community has ended family homelessness in this country. So I'm confused because you're talking about the families that you can't house. How many families can you guys house a year? 108. 108. So about 50%. Yep. 40%. Yep. Roughly. So get, I, I feel like you were leading to something. Get back to that 138 yeah. number. I'm just saying that we can do it. Yeah. I'm saying, I mean, I, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia. That number is ridiculously small compared to what you're going to see in a large city. So, so that this is something we can actually achieve. So in the last four or five years here in Ada County, how have those numbers changed? Is there things that we're doing? As so we pol- don't policy that we're to be completely honest. Orders? We don't know. Okay. Because we just launched this partnership, we don't actually have any clue. So it's like you just turn on the internet for the first time, and you're just now watching your browser history. Like we we just now learned yeah. incognito mode. That's how you do. <laughs> Google still sees that. Will they still see that? I don't see it, but they do. Mark Zuckerberg is probably watching it right now. Yes. So, uh, something I kind of, so that you're, you specifically were talking about Ada County. So I work 
in Cannon County. And yep. Will, you do work in Cannon County Cannon as County, well. Cannon County, baby. Little, little different kind of areas of expertise. But uh, I, I went about? to a year ago, I went to kind of a state of the um, Treasure Valley meeting. And I learned about a term. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. Maybe correct me. But maybe there was uh, there was a net zero. There was net zero housing in Canyon County. It meaning every possible house, apartment, domicile that was up for rent was filled in Canyon County. So that means if someone became homeless for a variety of reasons in Kenning County had literally nowhere to yeah. go. Is that, um, and that was incredibly disturbing to me. Um, cause I, I mean, work, with, were, I work with were, very, yeah, ver, work with very fragile populations. Is that, is that kind of, um, vibe or what is what I'm saying? Correct. With what you see with Kenning County. I mean, you work with the school district. Correct. Like, 10% of the Nampa school district is experiencing homelessness. Correct. If it, it uh, 10, and, and like I, 10% and, and I would and I would and I would uh, I would frankly question the number. I would say it's well, that's higher. a that, that's a self-reported number. Correct. Yeah. Right? And and I know and I can and I know exactly how those goddamn numbers are reported and that's that's a minimal number. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, I, the that's way, just, the way that's I just think my opinion, that, but I feel like it's higher. What I think about it is a floor, but not a yes. ceiling. Correct. We know it's at least ten percent. Correct. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. That I agree with ten percent. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But it could be twenty percent. Definitely. Oh, I think it's. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, correct. I yeah. Mean, Ken, Canyon County. I'm not gonna lie. Canyon County is in a terrible way. Yes. Because, I mean, just the pure number of services in Canyon County, and this is true for so much of rural America, is is just the number of services available is so infinitesimal. Yeah. It's so small. Yeah. yeah. So, like, Ada County here in Boise, in the Boise City, is not exactly in a great spot, but Canyon County is worse. And, and we serve both. I mean, as Catch, we serve both counties. Yep. Catch has um, an office in, in Nampa. And we're looking to grow for that very reason. Um, like we, we recently did our, our United Way, just to show this, we did our United Way presentation. Um, we are in Mark Nail's house right now, um, United Way employee. And we, we just showed an image of all the partners we have in Ada County. And there's 27 partners. We're awesome. We love that. That's very proud of that. And then next slide, we showed all of our partners in Cannon County. There were two. Uh, let's... Who was it? Do you do you know off the top of your head? Yeah, it was us in Salvation Army. That's great. And we can gain more, and that's fantastic. But still, the the service gap in Cannon County is incredibly real. And the what you're talking about, we would describe that as the vacancy rate. If talk how, more about that. How often are are units coming open for anyone to move into? Whether you're experiencing homelessness yeah. or whether you're a student or whether you just moved to town, doesn't matter. How often are units coming open? The vacancy rate for affordable units in Nampa right now is 1%. The national average is 7%. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of dumb it down for a second. Can you walk us through a family who you've helped, like how they came to know you guys, and then how 
you found him housing and kind of give me a success story, I guess. Like, how, how's it how's it work? Sure. Yeah. It, uh, you go and then I'll go. Cause oh, cause I you, a, yeah. Because I, I have a specific one I've yeah. referred to catch yeah, that good. got help. So, okay. But I, wa- I want to. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Um, we, we had a family not that long ago, um, Maria and Joey, that they, she was experiencing domestic violence. So for her, it was safer to leave the home than to stay in it. So uh, once her son started seeing the abuse, um, that was the moment where she's like, I, I, I have to leave. This is terrible. Um, I've been living with this for a long time, but now that he's seeing it, I have to go. And so it was safer for her to leave her home and to experience homelessness than to stay in it, which is a huge statement. Yeah. So she left, and frankly, she didn't know where to go, which is not atypical. So she um, first went to her church. The church, not being exactly sure where to go, um, took her to the police. The police, not being, ex- not being social workers, uh, took her to the shelter. So she um, was in a shelter, and from there, finally, the school counselor, actually, the school counselor, referred her over Preach. to... <laughs> referred her over to Catch. And from there, we finally, um, once she came into our program, we were able to work, and uh, the first thing we do is get her in stable housing, a philosophy called Housing First, because we know there's many number of issues these families are experiencing, but we know that those issues are not as effective if you work on them when they're on the street, you want to work on them in stable housing. You have to lessen their toxic stress that they're feeling, the trauma they're feeling, and then you can see the, the job growth, the income growth, the resilience, um, the stable housing really do its job. So does your program basically pay three months rent or so how, when do people- you, how, how, do you, how do you guys get them into housing? Yeah, we, I mean, we have landlord partners, so we are just out there constantly through our case management. Um, the first thing we do is build a housing plan together. So we're going to say, all right, we need to get you into housing. We're going to pay those app fees, those application fees, which, frankly, for a family can really add up. Yeah. $25 here, $25 there, $25 there. Um, maybe you have a back utility debt. That no one wants to house you because you owe $100 to Idaho Power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That no one's going to house you until because you can't turn on utilities in your name. We're going to take care of all that. But really, the big thing we're going to do is walk alongside you so that the terrible reality of getting you into housing and applying for things, we're there for you. Because right now, the reality of getting you an application at 9 a.m. versus 1 p.m. is the difference between getting you in house or not. Because yeah. the market is that fast. And so we're doing all that with you. Um, for you, um, for whom? For families, families specifically. So families um, with children under the age of eighteen. And so once you're in housing, once we finally get you into that that lease is signed in your name, it's not transitional. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's permanent. So that lease is in your name. Once that happens, then our case managers really dig in. So then we build an individualized service plan, and we're looking at a number of issues that you're working on. Everything from, from the financial realities of how can we get you from underemployed to fully employed? Um, how can we look at your kids to make sure that they are maybe attached to the health care they need? Mm-hmm. Um, how can we make sure they're attached to maybe a school counselor? We're looking also at the, the life skills and the trauma that you're experiencing. 
to make sure that that's, that's adequately addressed. And so we're also paying your rental assistance while you're in the program. And we layer that support. So some families are with us for two months. Some families are with us for nine months, just based on where they're at. Gotcha. And they stay in that unit, and we move out of it as catch. They stay in it, so it's permanent housing. They're safely stabilized. And sorry, I keep having more questions. Um, no. After no. So after this two months, nine months, do you guys check in? Six yep. months, one year. Or we check in every. Kind of a... We check in every month for three months, and six months, and twelve months. And we know that twelve months after our program, over eighty percent of our families are still stably housed. Just good to go. Yep, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. So, uh, like, I've referred several families to the Catch program. Like I said at the beginning, like unabashedly, this is like a program that one hundred percent. This is where my heart is. One hundred percent, I agree in. My question for you, Wyatt, um, we're in Idaho. We are a state. It's like you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. Give straps. me those bootstraps, baby. No, just pull yourself up. Where are they? So you I are. Don't know if I can find them. Like, are they there? Sarah. I don't have boots. Sarah's. On. By the way, can I'm I just. Sandals. I want to give a visual. Sarah's sitting next to me doing a crossword puzzle. <laughs> but I just drinking say, wine. Right? Like, She's. Okay, but so, I just want to say, um, exactly, this is, what we, this is what we in Idaho want. And you want to pull, your, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's right. Sometimes I don't know if you even got so the So the word... Uh, are the boots on. So this isn't welfare, which is tantamount <laughs> oh, to yeah, the F basically. word in Idaho, right? Mm. This... Catch uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> a program that is... You're working about propping up family sustainability getting these people back on their feet yes. helping it helping them like sarah find their bootstraps <laughs> right Where are i'm they? not wearing any shoes i don't know this like, so actually this is good because sorry <laughs> interrupt you again john um so is your program supported by both sides of the aisle or is it something that's hard for Ooh, politics go well yeah, i'm just i'm just politics. mean because just listening to this Right. It, it's, yeah. it seems like it would appeal to a conservative and a liberal because of it sounds like it's minimal money and effort to do this and it's going to have great rewards. So I, I'm just curious to see what in your position, what you've seen in the politics side of it. Yeah, so I'm going to I'm going to corollary to that question. We live in Idaho. Yes. And I don't need to talk about politics in Idaho. And look, listen, this is not a political podcast. No, I'm curious podcast. Yeah. Can you answer Sorry. that? Oh, totally. I mean, I am surprised with how effective it is to appeal to both sides of the aisle. The, the way I think about it is there's a head and there's a heart argument for this. The heart argument is, do you want a kid to grow up on the street? Yeah. I or drove, in a shelter? I, or I do I you drove, want a kid to, kid to grow up? In stable housing. I drove by a family coming in off the connector, and I was like, "Little girl, it sucks. Yeah, it's awful." And, and but there's also a head argument. Did you give them anything? The reality is, this is. No, I, drove, I drove right. <laughs> I know, right? That's well, because Wyatt told difficult. me. That's the difficulty. Wyatt told me this. it's better to. Wyatt, continue. Give money to no, I think to him. Wait, to... most people drive by this. They don't live in Wyatt's world. Let Wyatt finish okay. his sorry, answer, please. Sorry, sorry. Wyatt. Well, I mean, I mean, you're right. I, I think a meaningful in, in, interaction is great, sure. but we want to like scale up the problem. Yeah. So donating to 
agencies that we can help multiple families with a dollar. Yeah. Mean sign. And I, I just like you have you have caseworkers, you have skilled social workers on yep. site ready to take care of people. Yep. Any any instance. But so, I th- but I think there's there's a head argument too, talk which about it. I think please, it really please. appeals to good old fashioned conservative Idaho, of this is cheaper. This is just cheaper. So the reality is, tell me more because I like cheaper. These <laughs> these families, these people experiencing homelessness, where do they use? What what are their hotels? Their hotels are the jail, which costs ninety five dollars a night per person. Their jail, um, their they're using the ER. They're using as as a taxi ride the, the ER paramedics really and hosp- and and super and, comfortable too. Yeah, and so like it's costing on average. Uh, Vanessa Fry of Boise State did an analysis of this. It's costing on on average thirty five thousand dollars per person per year to you as the taxpayer to keep these people experiencing homelessness. Half that cost, if we use a philosophy like Ketch does, um, called housing first, we can house them. Give them the support services they need. You can save you as a taxpayer. They're better off. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. So Wyatt, I'm a I'm a taxpayer. If I give money or want to donate to catch, is it tax deductible? It is. It is. It is. John Munn. It is. Awesome. So how how do I how do I give to catch? Go to catchprogram.org. We'd be happy. C-A-T-C-H dot org. Program. 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 Dot org. I don't know if it's an R-A-M or R-E-M. Say it clearly. C-A-T-C-H program dot org. Is it program with an E or an A? With an A. Okay. And you have two. And you have two brick and mortar buildings. One in Boise and one in Nambuk, correct? That's correct. Okay. Um, are we gonna transition? Or take a minute. Or Wyatt, closing statement you want to leave with our with our loyal listeners. We can end homelessness. Everyone deserves housing. And if you're listening this, to this podcast right now in the comfort of your home, you know what I'm talking about. Out of babe. Word. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back with baseball. All right, Wetman Podcast is back. So, something that's near and dear to my heart is the Philadelphia scene. I, I mean, well, <laughs> only one particular scene for me. It's the Philadelphia Phillies. But, no, Wyatt, you are from the Philly area. How did you become a Phillies fan? Oh. I want to hear this. So I've, I've, I've never asked you this. I've known you. I he, know you're a Phillies he's, fan. He's got a tattoo on his. I, got, I, got, I know. I, I, I know you're diehard, but how? Wait, what? So, oh, quick, quick pivot. Can we? Po- so I'm. Um, oh my God! It says there it is. Phillies. Oh. Jimmy, Jimmy, jump in. Oh, so Will. Yeah. Um, we have a wine doula, which is Chris. A wine doula? Yeah, but if if Sandy goes into early labor, may. 9th, 10th, 11th? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, un- I'm unavailable. Chris is available. So yeah. will you be our backup wine doula? Yeah, they'll guarantee to be a case of wine sitting No, 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 no. You need to give my... Wine, During labor. One glass of wine. Early labor. Just one... I, 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 then, I said a case. No, no, shh, shh. And then you and I get the rest. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Done. Done. Okay. Okay. So you're pinky yep. swear on call May 9th, 10th, 11th. I don't pinky swear on anything, but I guarantee it. Can we get back to Philly? Can we get back to John? baseball? Yeah. John, Why are you a Phillies you, fan? John, well, John way, it's Rose. Yeah, it's your Rose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. John just said, fuck you. So It'll be there. It'll be there. It'll be there. Yeah. It'll be there. Done. Wow, John. Just fucking. Sorry, John. No, we're good. Jim, do you want to say something? No, I want to say something else. Jim's having a baby, and I'm gonna give his wife Jim, some wine while she's giving birth. Jim's, Jim's, and I'm gonna, gonna I'm gonna record the bottom end. John, you the bottom should... end. Yeah. No, yeah. should I? No, not record. Okay. You can you can draw it like a sketch cor- it like cor- a courtroom. Cor- cor- yeah. Okay. Well, I don't want to be part. John, this is like. A, a birth is more disgusting than the bottom of like a dirty yeah. cleat in baseball. Wait, a dirty cleat is beautiful. Hey, I don't know. Uh, it shows you're working hard. Yeah. Yeah. I'll commit right now. Postpartum podcast. Postpartum, postpartum <laughs> done. Lock it down. Episode right, eight. Hey. Postpartum podcast. Let me go. The PPP. Why you asked me? Uh, why yes. so? I, uh, why Phillies? Why Phillies? Yeah, because he's from uh, Idaho. Because I'm from Idaho. Uh, I know, and I never believed that you were a Phillies fan until I just saw the fucking tattoo, dude. All right. Yeah, I this mean, is a real tattoo. Uh, yeah, it's a real fucking tattoo. The Phillies have won the World Series in 1980 and 1908, or 2008. No, they did not win. 1908, uh, No, they actually they have one of the biggest collapses in baseball history in the late... 60s uh it's really catastrophic so to answer your question why so why am i a phillies fan why would why would a person from nampa idaho be a phillies fan uh in 1987 first baseball game i ever saw i was 10 years old so my uh my parents were my parents got divorced and my dad was active duty army station at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, and wow. we had the Munns had families in Philadelphia, and we went and visited them. It was Father's Day weekend. Went and saw a baseball game at Veterans Stadium. Yes, the vet. Um, Phillies beat the Cubs three two, and my dad and I got up on the jumbotron, and I was like, "Oh, there we are, there we are," and it was. Um, for lack of a better term, a religious experience. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, this is it. I, I mean, I still remember it viscerally. Like, I can describe in great detail how, like, I felt. I knew everything about that day. And walking out of the park, my, you know, holding my dad's hand, he's like, Jeff, on. I was like, that was awesome. Like, this is going to be my team. And being from Idaho, it's like we don't have really sports teams, so it's like we kind of have to pick. Yeah, you just pick, and so I picked, and it just I locked it in, and then um, within, so I, you know, I was like pre-adolescent, and then the Phillies got kind of good in '93, yep. and you know the loss, and then Joe Carter year, yeah, the Joe Carter year, which like, and I was like, in that point, I was in high school and just I like had t-shirts I had pennants and I was like I knew like I was like I'd watch the games 
Actually, I wouldn't watch games because I didn't have cable television then. But like, <laughs> like this, this is like I'd look at like box scores. Yeah, you, yeah. You know, See, and, like, I mean this about... as a huge compliment. But yeah. just knowing who you are, knowing your attitude for life, sure, you were meant to root for John Crook. You were meant to root for Mitch Williams. You were meant to root for Linda Extra. Yes, correct. Like, that is that, Mickey, Mickey Morandini. Like, Mickey yeah, Morandini. That, that is a team yeah. that just fits your personality. Yeah, and very so well. and it was like and it kind of like you know I like played baseball in high school and. Um, you know, Lenny Dykstra was like my like that's like kind of wide stance like sitting back in the box, like Lenny Dykstra was my guy. Um, I didn't realize Lenny Dykstra would like turn out to be a pretty terrible human being. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, well, but it, but I mean, and, we had all the information we needed. Yes, but I mean, like, so I was like Team Phillies, and um, and I like. So but you know, I'm I'm not a Sixers fan. I'm not an Eagles fan. I'm a Phillies fan. I'm a baseball fan first and foremost. Like growing up, uh, like Will Clark was one of my favorite players. Like I always like Paul Molitor. If yep. you all yeah. remember, oh, like, of I, I love Famer. like three thousand hits. Who actually beat us in that '93 years? Like I love Paul Molitor. Um, I saw Are George you a sucker for a lefty. Is that what I'm no, hearing? Yeah, kind. No, I'm I'm a sucker for like was Paul Molitor a Swiss hitter. No, he was a right-handed hitter, I think. Won a couple of batting titles. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he's already. But, um, you know, the like, uh, I love Paul Molitor. Um, George Brett was like, is yeah. all t- one of my all-time, like, favorite hitters. I, I love, I love guys who fucking just crush mm. the ball. Not necessarily hit for, like, homers but just can hit to all just her hitters you'll you'll be happy to know when yeah so in a couple weeks so my brothers and i um we every single year do a baseball weekend and we pick a new stadium we haven't been to and we you know at least go two games and so we're heading to kansas city in a couple weeks and we'll be there for kaufman we'll be there for george brett pine tarn bobblehead night (laughs) there is 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 the bobblehead going to be like shaking his hands over his head right I don't out? know. But I love how it's not just George Brett bobblehead night. It's George Brett pine tar <laughs> bobblehead night. Oh, yeah. And that's like, that's one of the biggest travesties <laughs> in baseball history. And we can, that's a whole nother. We should just, we, well, should, we, need, a, to do, we need to do an entire night just baseball about night. Just baseball. Just baseball. At, we can at the Hawks Stadium. Yeah, we could do seven hours on baseball. So, yeah. To go to the Green Lady Lounge. So that that's to why it adds to your question. That that's like that that's where I come from. And like that's that's the Phillies are the hill I'm gonna die on, man. And that and that's it. So how do you feel this year? This year I'm very, very, very optimistic. So I don't know what our record is right now. You won tonight, so you're sixteen and nine. Yeah, sixteen and nine, and they buddy. they had the best home record in all of baseball. Um, so a couple nights ago, the Arizona Diamondbacks came in with the best record in the National League, um, and they beat us twice at home, but we won. But Arietta got a win against two. Who's the fucking Diamondbacks? Really good pitcher. Granky. 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 They beat Granky. Uh, Arietta beat Granky. We're young. We. Get, uh, I, I love it. Very and, young. Very young. And I'm. I'm really hoping that um, we can get a massive free agent next year because the uh, 
the free agent class of next year is going to be unreal. Because I, yeah. I think Mike Trout is a free agent. Um, who's the... Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper is a free agent. Uh, Machado. So I'm, I'm, I'm putting... I want the Phillies to back a dump truck full of money up to Machado and just bring him in. That's what I'm hoping. But here we are. And I'm very happy. So to I'm very optimistic. I do I I don't expect the Phillies to win the division because it's a very competitive division this year, but I do think that they have a very outside shot at a wild card and they're competitive and I'm like I'm um I turned in like I told you earlier, I, I turned on all my alerts, my baseball alerts for the Phillies, and here we are. But my question back to you, yeah. my friend, is so you are from Philly. the Philly, Philly, Philly. You're, you're from the Philly area. But not a Phillies fan. But not a Phillies fan, a garbage Cubs fan. <laughs> yeah, that's so garbage. It is. <laughs> so, okay, two questions. Yeah. One, why are you a Cubs fan? Yep. Answer that and circle back around to your thoughts and feelings about Philly sports in general. Go on Cubs. All right. The Cubs thing is is a, a sincere childhood betrayal. So I grew up outside of Philadelphia, but my mother, who is, which I don't know, it feels rare, but maybe it isn't. But my mother is the sports um, heart of the family, and she is from Pittsburgh. And so anyone who's from Pittsburgh, there's just certain rules. And one of them is you do not, for the love of God Almighty himself, root for Philadelphia teams. How far away is Pittsburgh from Philadelphia? Six hours. Okay. So we were not allowed to root for Philadelphia teams. It was not who we were internally. So um, pretty much everyone else in my family is a Pirates fan. Um, My grandfather actually was drafted by the Pirates after the Korean War. Um, It was an amazing... um, our amazing third baseman who played with Mike Ditka um, <laughs> growing up. Dub Ditka. Dub Bears. He played with Ditka. Um, and so, frankly, I should be a Pirates fan, and maybe one day I will be. But in order to watch, in order to watch the Cubs, um, we would turn on the one thing we had growing up, which was, wait for it. WGN. 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 So um, in order trying to watch... Um, like the 80s Pirates, and I should have been a Bobby Bonilla fan. I should have been a Barry Bonds fan. I should have been any fans like. But instead, I fell in love with Ryan Sandberg, Sean Dunstan. Um, I fell in love with all of the Cubs. And so just watching that, it just, my parents, if nothing else, just wanted me to be a baseball fan. We're just a baseball family. Um, my brother Quentin, still diehard, diehard Pirates fan. My brother Zach, he loved anyone who he loved, so he loved Paul Molitor. It was his favorite player. So he was a diehard Brewers fan, Robin Yunt, until he became a diehard Blue Jays fan. No offense. No. <laughs> no offense. None taken. 1993 happened. Um, sounds, like, sounds like Zach has no alliances. He doesn't. He loves baseball. Still to this day. <laughs> he, 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 knows more, he knows more about baseball than anyone I know, but yet he, he doesn't really have a team. He just loves the teams. So... Yeah, I became a Cubs fan and, and just jumped in, and it worked out for me like two years ago. <laughs> Finally. Finally. I feel like 30 you, years later. You got in when you said. Like, relatively soon compared to everybody else that was Cubs fan. See, I was accused of being a bandwagon fan, 
I've ruined them for Cubs, even though I've been rooting for them for 30 years. Yeah, no, and that I, was that was a little you have offensive. Tiny T-shirts but to prove it. I, I have I have seen you watch a Cubs game, and it's hor- it's horrifying. Them. It's like, <laughs> well, I, I I don't want to be around you when you're watching the Cubs. So I think well, well, I've looked at you when I've watched a Cubs game because you are so calm after the Giants lose. No, that I, that I, that's because I'm a sociopath. I have no feelings. <laughs> but I've looked at you because you've told me like uh, it's just sports, which you played sports all through college. <laughs> yeah, and you played more than a way more than I did. But yet, when a Cubs lose, it's my day is gone. Yeah, it's and the, and the Giants lose, you know, to the Royals, and you you shake it off. Well, you know, we got three World Series. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> the Cubs have three in their history, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, so. Uh, hot, hot take that we were in a little bit of a I don't, I don't even know if the term's like renaissance but we're in a, like kind of a golden age in baseball playoffs we've with we had cards? starting starting with I would say the Royals loss in the world who they, the Royals lost to the Giants the Giants, the Giants and they came back and won the yeah. next year yeah. Yeah. it was 14-15 yeah and then the the baseball playoffs, by and large, for the last four or five years, have been incredible. Yep. Yeah. Last, last year, I mean, the, the, the last year's World Series was fan goddamn tastic. Yes. yes. Yeah. I became an Astros fan just by watching. Yes. Play. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The last, I mean, the last two World Series have been unreal. You have yeah. The, the rain delay. With with with, please tell me. I'm a Cubs fan, so obviously I loved two years ago. Sure. But. Please tell me, just you guys as baseball lovers. I mean, game seven, extra innings. Yeah. Who doesn't I, love that? I was. I remember exactly where I was. I was on John Munn's couch. We were having a thank you game seven party, and there were so many like, "This is unbelievable!" No. Like, what the fuck is going on? I was. I was. I so I watched that just with my girlfriend at the time, um, in a house because I couldn't. <laughs> Oh yeah, because I couldn't I couldn't watch around people. Yeah, and all of this you no, like it's like a game seven in. for your team. I I didn't trust watching ran, with random people. Yeah, no. so if so, yeah, which I'm is, all in on that. Like, so that's one of the things I wanted to talk about is if your if your team is in a series, it is ex, it's it's not pleasurable. It's excruciating. No, it's terrible. When 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 Rajay. Fucking Davis hits a home run <laughs> off of Rolls Chapman. Are you kidding me? Like yeah. Davis barely like he should maybe be in the in in the on the starting rotation. Like hit hits hits a home run. A rope down the left field line. Oh yeah. I man, I, I'm a decent calm guy. I feel like anyone know me know like would think I'm a calm guy. I threw things across the room. Yeah. Like yeah. it shouldn't be trusted shouldn't be trusted uh watching game seven with other people. Um the, so my hot take my hot take is like every 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 sport brought to their ultimate apex so you have the You're NCAA the, the NCAA tournament yes oh my gosh please the NCAA tournament you, can, I, can I make a comment just we have said that so I'm fortunate enough to have gone to Villanova oh which, which Correct. the great irony is the fact that I moved away from Villanova and since then they've won two championships and both of which I because I'm not I'm not superstitious, but I have sat in the exact same seat at the tap house 
in downtown Boise to watch both Villanova championships because the first time worked so fucking well. Yeah. Where where I am now in in 2016 watching them against UNC, where there's that good old powder blue um, surrounding the place. Yeah. And there's these four old dudes watching it right there. And I don't know if you remember the double clutch that tied of the game. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, we know the double clutch that ties the game, and and no one had moved the entire game, and they do that, and they get on their knees. They were just praying to whatever gods they know, um, because they're so excited. And and then Jenkins, Jenkins happens, um, and Archie just dishes it to Jenkins, buzzer beat, arguably one of the best, I think. You know, NCAA oh, without, finals. Without question. Finals of all time. So I'm like, all right, you have to recreate that. So just like, what, a month ago, I'm like, all right, I literally got the exact same people from two years ago that watched the game with me Whoa. in the exact same table. And, the ex- and I, I made them sit in the exact same seats. Did you go down there like two hours early to get your seat? I did, <laughs> of course. Of course. So, yeah, apparently you can... Were you wearing the same clothes? You're never going to move from Boise yeah. as long as Villanova keeps winning... <laughs> National championships. So it's, it's the Philly Renaissance. I'm just saying, there's it, something it happening is. right now. So yeah, it's the Philly Sons. So <laughs> are you a? Were you really emotionally moved by the Eagles Super Bowl? So this is the weird thing. So I mentioned the Pittsburgh connection. So sure. I'm a Steelers fan. So the Cubs is the oddity for me. I'm a Penguins fan. I'm a Steelers fan. Yeah, everybody hates Penguins. I would I would root for the uh, the Pittsburgh uh, basketball team if you know there was one. And so, um, I'm not an Eagles fan, but still, it was impossible not to root for the Eagles because yeah, well, yeah. do you really want to be the guy and not root for the Eagles? Like for playing Eagles? the Patriots? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like Tom Brady's gotten a few. It's fine. Yeah. So, be you were like kind of happy but neutral. If they would have lost, you'd have been like meh. See, but so many of my friends were just freaking out and texting yeah. me constantly. And, like, seeing what Broad was like after the game, man, I wish I was there. Yeah. I would have climbed a lamppost, too. It, it, well, it would have been greased, so you probably wouldn't have I would have found a way. Okay. <laughs> Philly finds a way. That was really gross. Um, so, Will. Yes. Uh, let's let's kind of go round table real quick before we bring in Sarah Hankel for Doctor Corner. Sarah Hankel, Doctor Corner. Um, so it's a round table without. Who? Uh, you can jump in here, Sarah. Who's okay. your favorite player, past, and who's your play, player current? Oh, so hands down, my favorite baseball player was Will the Thrill. Yeah. Surprise. William Neuschler Clark Jr. Favorite baseball player of all time. Um, he came up in 86, the year I was born. I started listening to baseball games probably the day I was born. Yeah. And the, when he got released by the Giants and went to the Rangers, mm-hmm. I was seven years old. I cried. Yeah. Like so hard. <laughs> I was so sad. And then, so <laughs> he came as a Rangers when he came, when they started interleague play in what, 94, 95, yeah. something like that. Yeah. We got the schedule for the Giants. Rangers are coming to San Francisco. We bought tickets. We're going to see Will Clark as a Ranger in, in Candlestick Park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bought tickets. 
he gets fucking hurt because <laughs> his goddamn knees and doesn't play. It was the saddest. That's it, a bummer. It was so sad, but yeah, Will Clark, Will the Thrill, favorite player of all time. Mm. Uh, who do you who do you love now? Ooh, now Brand, Brandon Belt. <laughs> uh, no, Brandon Belt is too streaky. Drives me crazy. Um, who's the greasy haired guy for? Uh, Brandon Crawford, <laughs> shortstop. Yeah, he is greasy haired. He's won the last two Sayyid. Three. Uh, th- he's got three uh, gold, gold gloves. gloves. Yeah. yeah. He gloves. is he's very slick. It's um, really good. I would say my favorite giant. No, I'm his a, favorite player. I'm gonna go favorite giant. Because my favorite player is gonna be giant. Homer. Player. I'm a homer. Um I'm gonna push out Buster Posey because he should be my favorite player, but I really like Joe Panic. Hmm. Joe Panic. Joe, Joe Panic, Panic at the disco? Joe yeah. Panic at the disco. <laughs> that guy is this little lefty shortstop yeah. who can he can rake, play defense. He's annoying as as like an opposing team. Yeah, he's he's just a good hitter. Plays defense so well. Yeah. Like I am yeah, I'm Joe Panic. I think sure. he's my favorite giant. Sure. Uh I'm gonna go next. Is that okay, Wyatt? Yep. Um so this is for me all time players. Super easy. It's not Philly at all it's um uh kind of a player some of you may know by the name of ted williams oh, is that is uh, that a, is, i've heard play of baseball him i've heard of him i, I mean think. i know nothing about baseball and i've yeah. never heard of him i i became obsessed with Ted williams when my dad was like oh this is the last guy that hit 400 and then once i came to understand what 400 meant Mm. Um, so Ted Williams hit 406 in 1941, the last game of the year. He but played in a double. He was like they wanted like, him to sit. It was like three yeah. nine 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 nine. He didn't sit. You, you guys know I this. Love it. And he played in the double. I love this story. Went six for eight. Ended up with a 406 batting average. I love that story. But the backstory is was not the AL MVP. Do you know who was? Wait, wait. So he hit 406 and was not the AL MVP. I think he. I think. I think he was 406 and may have won the triple because Ted Williams won the triple crown twice. Yeah, um, he hit 406. Joe Maggio, uh, Joe DiMaggio. Uh, <laughs> no, Joe Maggio, not Joe a, Maggio. Not to be mistaken for our friend, Joe <laughs> Joe DiMaggio was the MVP because that was the year yes, Joe D had the 56 oh, game yeah. hitting streak, and I think the Yankees. Actually, they, won the bought, won the World they bought, Series. They bought the MVP, and the the Red Sox were like a garbage seller team. I don't even know if they made the playoffs. But um, Ted Williams, I don't need to talk more about. It. He's my all time favorite player. Okay, I've, can we? I've read his biography. I've read multiple books about him. Yeah, he was kind of a dick. He was kind of a weirdo. His yeah. head's now frozen on ice. He quit baseball to go fight in Korea. He didn't quit baseball. He got drafted. <laughs> He was forced into service, and he was shot oh, fucking so down in it was the Korean War. Yeah, uh, man, Ted Williams is it, okay. T- Ted Williams is like my number one all time, number one favorite baseball player, and maybe my all time favorite human. No, like Amer- like he's American like I'm hero? obsessed with Ted Williams. I I, I love Ted Williams. Icon. Yeah, yeah, I love Ted Williams. Um, 
Drew Brees, who's Ted Williams. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on, so, hold on. So Ted Williams, we move. We move. Make the connection. Ted, Ted, Ted Williams was number nine. Drew Brees number is number nine because of Ted Williams. Like I, 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 I ride hard for Ted Williams. I ride hard for the Ted Williams story. I'm all in on Ted Williams. Okay. And so Drew my, Brees, we ride uh, hard for him. My favorite current player, without question, Jose Altuve. I've, mm, like that so guy, fun. He's so, so fun. fun, and the guy just rakes. Yes, and he's just like, uh, I, I love Houston. I love what they're all about. I love that whole team. Um, little guy, just, just all about baseball. So goddamn fucking amazing right now. Yeah, it's really Jose good. Altuve yeah. is my favorite current player. Wait, go. See the Jose Altuve thing makes me want to give a certain love to to Chuck Morton, because like. I mean, the Pittsburgh connection, which I'm aware of, but Charlie Morton, who would have thought would become a like World Series hero? This guy was a, a know-nothing like fifth starter who learned the two-seamer and just learned that what the ground ball can do. And because of that, fast forward however many years, and suddenly he's pulled in relief and gets to become a World Series hero. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, my favorite player of all time, I've kind of got two. Um, my favorite player of all time I grew up with was is Ryan Sandberg. Yeah, without a doubt. Oh, God. Um, Ryan, 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 Rhino, Rhino, yeah, Rhino. Never meant to manage the major leagues. Apparently, thank you, Phillies. Phillies, yeah. He was, he's so old school in the way that makes him a great developmental. He was he was amazing in the the Cubs organization as a as a manager. Amazing in the Phillies organization as a manager with the Lehigh Iron Pigs, but. You know, too old school to be a, a major league, but he, he played the game the right way. He was so fundamentally yeah. based, so humble, um, and I just love that about him. I just loved watching him growing up, and it's absolutely like I feel like baseball is this great metaphor for life, and you could grab that from him. Yeah. Of all right, you can focus on his, you can, um, his streak, um, which was later broken of of airless streak. I just love that. That's such like a quiet. Focus, yeah, um, and I love that. Um, second to that, like the more like that was growing up, the more I've like aged and learned about baseball, the more I'm all, I want to give some love for Buck O'Neill, like Buck the Negro League. Yes, yeah. the more the more I've like researched and stuff, the more I've like spent some time. Like I want to give some love for for the the Negro Leagues. Yeah, of like how much you have to fucking go through to have loved the game as much as like a Buck O'Neill did. And and he was the first uh, first African American coach for the Cubs um, uh, in history, but they because he's African American, he had no path forward to become a manager. And so uh, Frank Robinson, right, was the first African American African American um, uh, manager. <laughs> Give me the formally. He was the first African American manager. Frank Robinson was. Yeah. And and yeah. and so Buck O'Neill, what he had to go through, just he was a player manager for the Monarchs. He, I mean, he was in Pittsburgh for a little bit, and it's what he had to go through in order to play the game. It's just overwhelmingly like a larger adversity than any hero I had growing up, to be honest. And so, like the older I get, the more I realize how hard that is, and the more I want to appreciate that. So so, real quick. Favorite current player? Go. Thirty seconds. Favorite current player? It's like impossible not to say Anthony Rizzo. 
It's impossible not to. Then say Anthony Rizzo. He won the Roberto Clemente Award last year. He's just You're his foundation Rizzo. is amazing. Like the guy cares a lot. He went through cancer um, when he was with the Red Sox organization coming up. I mean, he went through so much, and um, when he was with San Diego, came up, batted like I don't even know below Mendoza line, and was brought back down, and now just amazing player. So Anthony Rizzo, Anthony it's impossible Rizzo. not to root, root for him. All right, so that was our baseball minute. Um, or 20 minutes where it was. Oh my God, it was and we're going to come back in show. 10 That's seconds fine. and we're going to do some HIV corner with Dr. For all of you Sarah Hankel. Sex out there, Word. Which probably is none of you. Mics are hot. Uh, okay, so we're back. Is this <clears throat> session five? Four? Three, two, one. So last, uh, last part of the Wetman podcast. Dr. Corner. Dr. Corner. We have... Dr. Sarah Hankel, family medicine doctor who is completing her HIV fellowship here in Boise. Um, so we have lots of questions about HIV because we're all non-experts and she is the expert. So first of all, what is HIV and what is AIDS? Because those words get confused sometimes, I feel like. And one of them comes from a monkey, right? So good questions. I think this is actually, yeah, I think it's actually a very not understood point. So HIV compared to SIV, which is the monkey reference, HIV, human immunodeficiency virus, monkey HIV is SIV, simian immunodeficiency virus, AIDS is acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, which is what you have when you've had HIV in your body for a long time. HIV, that virus specifically infects your immune cells, specifically T cells, a specific kind of cell within your immune system, and it knocks all of them out. And uh, you develop AIDS as a syndrome that allows you to become infected with bugs that we're all exposed to in a day-to-day environment that don't cause most people any problems but for those of us for those of us who have AIDS it because we do not have an effective immune system we end up getting sick from them so when somebody has HIV or somebody has AIDS what should you be more concerned at or are they connected so They're obviously connected, but the life cycle of HIV is super interesting in the sense that you get infected with it, you have an acute infection. Some people, asymptomatic. Other people have a viral disease or a viral illness that kind of feels like the flu. High fever, sore throat, body aches, like very nonspecific. That can be an HIV infection if you've had an exposure. And so a lot of people have that and they get, you know, they go to their doctor, they get told like, oh, this is a viral illness and you'll get over it in the next seven to 14 days. And then that's true because it is an acute viral illness. But then what happens with HIV is that instead of being like mono or other viruses that kind of go away and don't cause you any chronic problems, HIV inhabits your T cells, inhabits your immune system and starts busting shit up. 
and breaking it down and blowing it up. And um, so a lot of people get the infection and then it stays in their immune system for a prolonged period of time, slowly, slowly bursting all of their CD4 T cells until they're a very limited number. And then that allows for opportunistic infections to present themselves. Opportunistic infections being things that we are all exposed to on a regular basis, but um, through dirt, through, you know, and air and just like environmental microbes um, that don't cause us any problems, but for people who no longer have T cells to fight them, cause big time problems. Sarah, I want to come from like kind of the social angle. Yeah. Um, so AIDS to a lot of people, HIV is synonymous with like homosexuality, unprotected sex. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, it was brought to light to a lot of us with Magic Johnson when Magic Johnson got AIDS. And then um, to me, younger, uh, it was like Ryan White, the Ryan White mm-hmm. case, like way back, he was like, and like Arthur Ashe. Um, so I remember specifically um, when uh, Magic Johnson came back to the NBA and like Carl Malone was like, I don't want to be on the court with this guy. There's blood. Blood's going to get splashed on me. I'm going to get AIDS. Um, and I remember distinctly in junior high and high school, like if I get AIDS blood on me, like I'm going to get AIDS and AIDS is a death sentence. Um, my my first question is talk about like socially how has aged how has AIDS like been um, kind of addressed over the last like twenty years, and then two my fault question is like like what's the reality of transmission? Mm-hmm. Which um, I think those questions are kay. very tied together. Yeah, um, go. So I think I think uh, really important right now is that we have medications that will suppress virus in pretty much every single person, even those folks who have been exposed for 30 to 35 years to different medications over time, to different regimens. We have newer medications that are going to suppress their virus. For highly treatment experienced people, we have regimens that will make their virus undetectable in their bloodstream. When someone's virus is undetectable in their bloodstream, it is not transmissible to anybody. So U equals U, undetectable equals untransmissible. So if there is someone like Magic Johnson on the court and he is taking his antiretroviral therapy as he should be. His viral load is undetectable. His CD4 is in the same range as mine is. You know, it's like within the normal range. Um, if you even in those, if in the moment, like you smashed your heads together and blood went from Magic Johnson, Johnson or some other HIV positive person and who he, is undetectable to someone he, like, else. He fell inside of him. Yeah, or like ejaculated, or like some floor. other thing. Yeah, or you know, like my, or on my face. Yeah, like mouth. and then you licked it and yeah. you like swallowed okay. really 
like all of it aggressively aggressively and like maybe yeah. because you swallowed it so aggressively there was blood so like <laughs> semen plus blood you know like that's if, not what i was imagining but, but can, that's can, what happened continue. that's what happened because it was aggressive and um but undetectable equals untransmissible so if this if this person who is hiv positive or living with hiv they if their virus is not detectable in their blood they cannot transmit and this has been tested in thousands of condomless sex acts. So uh, anal intercourse, penile vaginal intercourse, oral intercourse, like there is all the types of intercourse <laughs> have been have been allowed. And people who are... What about double penetration? Exactly. <laughs> okay. So it doesn't even... That, even that. So like as long as the person what who is positive... What about double penetration ejaculation? So like... I don't even know what that means. Do you know what that means? So both orifices, there's... So So as long as the positive people are undetectable and are on antiretroviral therapy, if they uh, ejaculate in someone's mouth and ejaculate in someone's asshole, like, and they're both undetectable and they are both HIV positive, that person's not fucking gonna get it. What if there's a third stream coming from, like, the face... Well, is that it what doesn't I, matter, like through okay. their what, their eyeballs? Like, I don't know what you're going for, but it doesn't yeah. matter. As long as everyone who's HIV positive is on ART and undetectable, they will not transmit the virus. So um, what I'm hearing you say is bukkake if everyone's... I'm just saying, you okay. get you can get down. No, I'm just kidding. I don't okay. know. Right. Like, okay. use so, condoms, they prevent spread of trans- sexually transmitted infections. So it sounds like... This is cool, some, somebody right? Who, somebody who's treated correctly is not right someone who's engaged in care someone who's getting treated it's like a chronic disease it's like you have high blood pressure it's like you have diabetes like that is what hiv has become it's manageable it's 100 percent manageable you will not die of aids if you have hiv right now you will not uh sarah you you will die of heart attacks you will die of cancer you will die of everything that i won't die of anything I'm invincible. I mean, you're definitely never Correct. dying. And if I have any technology that would keep people living, I would not give it to myself. I would give it to you. <laughs> so, That's very nice. Sarah, Dr. Sarah Hankel, if, 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 if someone... Especially if there was a limited amount, like it would 100%, 100% go to you. Uh, if, if, if someone... John Munn for, John Munn for millennia. Word. If someone that is listening to us, or mayor, mayor, whatever, if someone that was listening to us or someone at this table um, thought they had HIV or was concerned about HIV, what should they do? What where where do we go? Oh, so you go get a life insurance policy and they'll test you for HIV, or you can show up at our clinic where you can get oral testing, like so an oral quick test, which is ninety nine percent plus positive. Can you uh, can you walk me through sorry. that process? Like someone so okay, so back up. Yeah. Um okay. Let's like all fucking sort of like let's get real serious. I I me Joan man had casual sex mm-hmm. and was worried that they were like, oh fuck, I that person is put super, you at risk. Might yeah. put me at risk. Great question. What do I do? Yeah, so um, the cool thing is that our new tests called the fourth generation tests 
can detect HIV, new HIV infections within two to three weeks of exposure. So if you had sex with an anonymous person and you were like, damn it, I didn't use a condom, how worried should I be? I'm not sure. First, you should think within the first 72 hours, should I go get post-exposure prophylaxis? Like, is this person someone that I don't know well enough that I might be concerned that they could get a, that they have HIV and that I'm willing to take antiretroviral therapy to prevent transmission within 72 hours of so contact, you, whether you can, it's injection or sex. So you can potentially prevent transmission. Transmission after the fact if it's done quick enough. Kind of like you think about plan B for pregnancy, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. So we think about that right for plan B, the actual plan B pill, it's like within 72 hours there's Ella, which is within five days. Um, but post-exposure prophylaxis, best within the next 24 hours from exposure. So think you think rape cases, right? Sexual assault. Um, if that person gets into care, if they get to the emergency department, we can get post-exposure prophylaxis treatment to them very quickly. Like uh, pharmaceutical companies will will get the therapy that you need to you, whether you're uninsured or whatever. Is how, how do we so access that? Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's say, reaching like, is out that over counter, over the counter, or is it like it's not over the counter? So, so how should do, it be? How do, should how, it be right? It's a good question. So hold on, answer. How do we do it though? So yeah, so if you go to an uh, ER, I just I just had really crazy sex. Yep. What do I do? Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's a great question. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this happens to a lot of us, Correct. and I think that's I think that's what people should realize is that heterosexual contact. So, like a lot of people try to say, like, well, I'm not at risk. I'm not having sex with IV drug users. I'm not. I'm not a man who has sex with men, whether you identify as gay or not. Like, and so people don't think that they're at risk. But we have people. I mean, they're in Africa. The prompt predominant. A mode of transmission is heterosexual sex. And I have many patients who are exposed through only heterosexual sex. So, right, like if you are a sexually active man or woman having sex with what whomever you desire, like that is your risk. You are having sex, like good for you, but check for HIV, right? And then so if you have sex with someone and you're like, oh, damn it, they were real random, they could have been paid for money, but they didn't ask for any. Or like whatever. It doesn't even matter, right? Like they're someone who I'm not sure about. Then then you show up to your doctor. You ask them or you tell them, I need post-exposure pro prophylaxis for HIV. Or you were sexually assaulted. You show up to the ED and I need post-exposure. Like then you can so get that within 24 hours. Do they need to say that term? Can you say it again? Post-exposure prophylaxis. I think that's post a good thing to say. Post-exposure prophylactic. Yeah. And I think what you can say is, I think what you can say to your primary care doc is like, hey, I just had sex with a super anonymous person, like super anonymous, meaning like I really don't know can anything they, about can they, them. Can they walk into a clinic and say that? They should be able to. And um, so I think this is really important for a primary, from a primary care standpoint is that every primary care provider should be able to put provide post-exposure prophylaxis or know how to get it or know who they need to talk to in the so community. So it... Just, I just want to circle back around. Yep. If you think you've had super sketchy sex, you need to say what's the term. I post, you need to post post exposure prophylaxis. P E P PEP. And you can you can say that to a clinic. Go see a doctor. Go to any twenty four hours within clinic. 
72 hours in the United States. Okay. Within 72 hours. And so ideally sooner than that. So within 24 hours is ideal. Within 36 hours is ideal. Within 72 hours, we're starting to get like, nah, we don't know if we're going to prevent it. So post-exposure prophylaxis, there. It's always there. Um, And subsequently, in your... Two to th- so uh, HIV is first detectable after two weeks um, on a blood test, okay. on fourth generation blood test uh, for HIV. So after two weeks, you may get a positive if you are concerned about it. Dr. Hinkle, do you have any closing comments? What What do we need to know about HIV, AIDS? About I think the important thing is to remember that. Hold on. Yeah, hold, hold on. We, get a, we have another question. We have a question from the audience. Well, I was just curious uh, if you could expand locally, regionally, even nationally, or even worldwide as far as where What's we're at with HIV. Yeah. yeah, I think a great question. So, um, sadly, uh, I mean, I mean, I guess in a good sense, the overall um, new incidence of HIV has declined over the past several years in the United States. But the unfortunate part is it's like somewhat plateaued at about 40,000 or kind of 38 to 40,000 new cases each year. Um, and so the question is, what do we do now? It's plateaued. Like, like we've, we've achieved some success, but not entire success. Like, why are 40,000 people still getting HIV? Yeah. Um, which is sad. Um, and the interesting, other interesting part is the people who are now most at risk are, or those who are um, the, our new diagnoses are no longer like middle-aged men, which was very standard for America before, that it was MSM, pe- men who have sex with men in their middle age, 30 to 40s. It's now we have a bimodal distribution of people in their 20s and people in their 50s to 60s. So it's the young people who are IV drug users and who are MSM and who are heterosexual and who are homosexual who like get exposed and they haven't thought about it and they don't know what HIV is and they don't know what what they don't know exactly the whole thing about it and then there's this other group the 50 to 60 50 and 60 year olds who maybe it's their second or third marriage and their blah 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 and they get infected because they're not super aware of it either and that was actually my my most recent new diagnosis with acute hiv was a woman who was 59 years old because she had a she is her husband she and her husband divorced and she has a new partner and ta-da he didn't know he had hiv um so what was the original question what do you like who how how, uh how is AIDS like what is it re- like right now? Yeah, so like in the United States, or right? So in the United or... States, there's still this transmission that continues because people don't know, uh, or people aren't protecting themselves as they could be. Um, the cool thing is that we have treatment as prevention, so people who once you know you should get screened, once you know you can be treated, if you're undetectable, you're untransmissible. Transmissible could it be eradicated eventually. Sounds like another podcast. Yeah. John Mann, let's, yeah. So let's... I, 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 actually on a, a kind, kind of a serious tip, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Dr. Hinkle, if someone in the Treasure Valley thinks that they need help with HIV or they're kind of freaking about, about what's going on, yeah. what can they do? 
can they call you? Can they email totally. you? Like, what should they do? So they should definitely always be okay with going to the emergency department because okay. all of our emergency departments should know how to treat like a post-exposure sure. prophylaxis person. So someone who's been assaulted or the someone PEP. who's had sex with someone. So getting the PEP yep. part of it. Um, if you want prep, you can go to uh, come to our clinic. So 208-514-2500. Ask to get an appointment in prep clinic. And we will can talk about pre-exposure prophylaxis. So taking a medicine one time, once a day, that can prevent a transmission from someone who is positive to someone who is negative. Um, and beyond that, we can also get people in on a once a, like an immediate basis if they are concerned that they need post-exposure pro- prophylaxis. Our clinic will get you in and get you your medications. Um, so that's the Family Medicine okay. Clinic, Family Medicine Health Center. Thank you, Dr. Sarah Hankel. Uh, Anytime. This, this has been the Wetman Podcast. Absolutely. We'll talk to you all later. Thanks, bud. Bye-bye.